Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Because summer is a time when people tend to come and go, and also because we have some visitors here, I just need to thematically tell you what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks uh, so that you have a context for today's sermon. Because in some ways, we're continuing on an idea about the church and who and what we hold on to and why. Two weeks ago, I talked about the whole idea of hope. And where is our hope? And last week I talked about the church. What does it mean to be in the church? What does it mean to be the church? The church of Jesus Christ. And one of the things we say about who we are is that we are people of hope. And that we hope not as the world hopes, but we hope in a different way. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for us. And I don't know how many of you have been following this story that's been unfolding over, it's actually more than a week now, about these two young men, Austin and Perry, two 14-year-olds who uh, took a boat out, and uh, they have now given up the search. And I think one of the reasons why that story in particular caught my attention is because, you know, when I was a young man, I did a lot of things that I look back on and say, the Lord protected me. I guarantee you, some of the things that I did were dumb and dangerous. And so, in part, it hooked me because of these two boys doing something that was probably beyond their capability to do. Even though they thought they could do it, they thought they were invincible, like I at one time thought I was. And then I have two boys. And in particular, Daniel has always chosen to live on the edge. I mean, I've told stories to our congregation down through the years here about Daniel, but right now he's at Fort Bragg in Special Forces training. That is Daniel, always living on the edge. His younger brother Aaron, on the other hand, Aaron is a little more calculating. And yet at the same time, Aaron has twice jumped out of a plane. Fortunately, he had a parachute on. But I mean, you know, just looking for the dangerous and looking for the daring, which we tend to do a lot of times. That's what young men often do. They look for an adventure. And sometimes they make poor decisions when they're looking for that adventure. Because we want to be tough and we want to be cool and we want to be heroic. And so that's what we look towards. That's what we look to do. And it's really interesting, these two young men, as you watch the story unfold, and you listen to, for example, you listen to the mother's talk when they were interviewed on CNN Headline News. And you listen to the father and the stepfather talk. And they were so wanting to hold on to hope. But it was interesting what they focused on. 
They talked about these two young men being athletic. They talked about them being skilled, even though they were young, skilled boatsmen, that they had their license. They talked about spending hours and hours on the water fishing. So they focused on the ability of these young men. And they said, plus, we have all of these people that are out there looking for them and all the volunteers and all these resources looking for them. So they held on to hope. But as the week unfolded, it was interesting not only what happened as time went on, but what happened in the media as time went on. You heard less about it in the news. And finally, on Friday, our local paper, now we've moved from front page news back to page six. Rescuers hope for best case scenario. What's the best case scenario? That they had food, they had water. That they were still alive, that they were out there with life vests on, even though they had no evidence of that necessarily. But they were looking for the best case scenario. And the search continued. And efforts came in from both the public sector and the private sector. One day later, Coast Guard calls off search. A heart-rending decision for families so convinced the boys could be alive. They're pressing on with their own hunt. The family and friends have not given up. But the Coast Guard, Captain Mark Fedor, called the decision to suspend the search excruciating and gut-wrenching. Boys had surpassed any reasonable period of survivability. They had given up hope. They still have, the family does, $340,000 because of donations to continue the search. Because they're holding on to hope. I never heard in any of the interviews any reference to prayer or to faith. None. I'm not saying they're not people of faith. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying I've never heard any reference. What I did notice is what their hope was in. It was the hope of the ability of these two young boys and the hope of the ability and resources of the people looking. That was the hope. The hope was a human hope. But one of the things that we read over and over again in Scripture is that we as Christians, if we really understand our faith, if we really understand what God is after, this hope that we have is beyond hope. It's beyond the hope of this world. It's beyond the resources of this world. Because what we have hope in, what we have hope for, is over and above this world. Who we trust in, is over and above our own abilities. The provision that's offered by those around us and the things of this world, including our own abilities and skills. And when you look at the Scripture readings for today, both the Old Testament reading, when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, and the New Testament reading, when you've got these people that are called disciples of Jesus following him around the lake because he disappeared from the day before. That you have the people of God, that is to say people that the Lord called, whether it was the people of Israel out of Egypt or Jesus as he preached and he taught, he called them to follow him as disciples. These are the people of God. 
And what were they hoping in? What were they hoping for? They wanted bread. They wanted food. Because in both cases, these people were hungry. But what the Lord was offering in both situations was something beyond this world, beyond this life. That what the Lord gave in both situations was pointing to something else, to someone else. And it's really interesting how the people, when they were wanting this provision, how the people sought after the provision. What did they do? They complained. They complained. They didn't pray. They weren't seeking the Lord for what the Lord was offering. They didn't have the big picture or the eternal picture in mind. They complained. You know, look at the people of the Old Testament. First of all, these are people that came out, and as they were coming out, remember what they experienced before they came out. Do you remember that there were ten plagues, ten miracles that the Lord sent in order to somehow persuade Pharaoh and the leaders, the ones that were keeping the people enslaved and in bondage? And the people saw that. And then they saw the parting of the Red Sea. And the people saw that. And then they saw the pillar of fire and the cloud, the Lord's presence, and they saw that. Then they saw the army of Pharaoh destroyed, and they saw that three days later. Hey, hey Moses, did you bring us out here to die? We don't have any water left. Three days later. After water was provided, they did a little better. Now we've got 45 days, if you read the earlier part of Exodus 16. 45 days. They must have done well, you know, packing flour and maybe some dried fish. And they had 45 days worth of provision. Then they get to the end of that. What do they do? Oh, wow, Lord, you provided the water. Now we need you to provide for us so that we survive. No, that's not what they did. Moses, we could be back in Egypt eating. Here we go again. The people complained. They looked to the past. They looked to the bondage of the past. And they looked to Moses and they complained. Let's jump to the New Testament just for a second. All these disciples were told that Jesus fed 5,000 men plus others. And then they wanted to make him king. And Jesus said, no, you misunderstand why I'm here. So he dismissed the people. The apostles left. Jesus walked across the water, went to the other side. The people said, oh, where is he? So they pursue after him. What does Jesus say when they arrive? Did you catch it? You followed me because you wanted your bellies to be filled. That's why you really followed me. And they say, well, what sign are you going to give us? You know, the Israelites got man in the wilderness. Hint, hint. You could feed us every day so that we don't have to work for it. Hint, hint. Can't you just provide for us? That would be really cool. That would be really easy. And Jesus says to them, you misunderstand. You misunderstand the big picture. You misunderstand what God is after when he gives you this provision. 
When he points these signs out to you, it's because these signs are meant to point to something else, something that you're really supposed to be about, that you're really supposed to understand about who God is and what God wants for your life. This bread of life idea that comes through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the promise. That's what God is after. And we miss it so often when we get stuck in that the Lord should provide for what I want, what I need, when I want, when I need it. Complaining. Let's start there. We are such a complaining people. We really are. If you weren't here last week, I focused on Ephesians chapter 4 and I talked about patience. How patient are we as a people? We are not a patient people in an impatient society. And then the line goes on, the verse goes on in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says, bear with one, one another in love. We don't do that very well. But think about what's even behind that. Do we bear with God very well? I mean, if God doesn't deliver, and I've heard this over and over again, I've heard this several times. You know, well, if that's the way God's going to be, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Or if that's the way God's not going to answer my prayer, I'm not going to believe in him anymore. Right? I mean, God didn't deliver. He's supposed to deliver. That's why he's here. Where's God after something else and we're just missing it? He complained to Moses as if Moses was the source of what happened. They complain about Jesus. They complain to Jesus because Jesus isn't doing it their way. We love to complain. And how quickly we get to that point. We really do. You know, when I was early on in the ministry... Someone said something to me that was really fascinating. They said, Greg, always remember, you're only as good as your last sermon. And I thought, well, there's an interesting one. What are they saying? Well, Greg really bombed it this week. I'm not going back. Jeez, if that's all he's going to say. And people complain. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I need. Because oftentimes it's our, in our own human flesh. It's our own desire for what we want. Instead of what the Lord wants for us. And it's really interesting when we really understand and we really see what the Lord's provision is. Much like in both situations, we see God's provision is always abundant. It is always enough and more. Did you catch it in both cases? In the Old Testament reading, in the reading from Exodus, they come out, they run out of food, they say, Moses, we need some bread. What does God send? Not just bread. Sends meat too. They could make a sandwich. That was good. That just came to my mind. <laughs> Sent them the manna and the quail. And not only that, if you caught it, it was an abundant amount. They were all satisfied. Every family had enough for what they needed. And then you go to the New Testament reading, and out of one kid's lunch, five loaves and two fish, he provides for 5,000 men plus 
you know, probably women and children as well. And then they have 12 baskets left over. There's plenty of food. Everyone was, if you read the word, satisfied. I wonder how often we feel filled and satisfied in this life. And we really understand that that's what God wants to provide for us in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, for our lives. The way He designed us to be. What we really need. Not what we perceive we need or we want. You know, it's really interesting. I'm watching that unfold right now here at St. Luke's. In what God is providing for us. You know, I want to give a little history for those of you that haven't been around or may, may not know the story. You know, in 1995 is when we started talking about and planning, not only for the expansion of this sanctuary, which we've done, but we started talking about phase two. Phase two is the parish hall and the children's ministry wing. And when we finished the sanctuary in 99, and this wonderful gift was given to us by the Lord's provision, we started planning for the next phase. And when we got to the next phase, it was the end of 2002, beginning of 2003, what happened? The whole national church mess. So we put it on hold. And we started gearing up again in 2007, 2008. What happened then? Recession. And I said to the Lord, I'm done. I'm not trying to do this anymore. You want this to happen? You've got to make it happen. Back in 1999, 2000, something like that, when we were talking about the second phase, the building next door over there that's now 40 Pope, that's our new mission and ministry center, it was up for sale. I said, we've got to buy that. And they said, no, Greg, we're not buying it. The vestry did. Now, for those of you that think everybody always says yes to me, <laughs> it's not reality, okay? It's just not reality. And I was ticked off at the vestry at that point. You know, none of this was happening the way I thought it should happen. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm really done. If you want this to happen, you've got to make it happen. And he did. He raised up people. He raised up people. He gave those people vision. And they came to me and said, Greg, we've got to buy this building over here. I said, there's a good idea. <laughs> and they did it. They did it. And now what's going on with the parish hall and the children's ministry, we're over 70% there. I've done very little for this process. I'm really not much involved in the building plans, unlike what we did here. And what the Lord is showing me, Greg, it's in my time. It's in my way. I'll raise up the people. I'll do what I need to do. This is not about your agenda. This is not about you doing it. And I've watched it unfold, and it's been wonderful to watch. And I've been blessed. I've not had to carry the burden. I've not had, not had to carry the burden myself. It's been surrounded by prayer, what we're doing. And I'm watching God move. And it's not just about buildings. Don't ever mistake anything I do about the world. Because what it's about is it's about lives. It's about making disciples and growing disciples and providing a place for God's people. That's why we do what we do. Don't make any mistake 
That God wants to do what God wants to do to touch lives and affect people eternally. Not just provide for them materially. Not just for this world. Eternally speaking, God wants to make disciples. He wants to move in the hearts and minds of people. He wants to transform people. The manna in the wilderness was all about pointing to the Lord. Not to Moses, which the people identified with Moses. Did you catch that in the John reading? And Jesus said, it's not just about filling your bellies. You're missing it. It's the bread of life. And when they said to him, well, what, what work are you going to do? What are you going to perform? What miracle are you going to perform for us? He said, the work is to believe, to trust. And I wonder, do we really understand that that's what the Lord wants? He wants our trust. He wants our love. He wants a relationship. He wants us connected to each other. And growing. And growing the kingdom for his sake. Both all of us individually and the body of Christ. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. And when we get fixated on this world, we miss it. God wants to provide for us abundantly. And it's all about what he wants, not what we want. And you know it's really cool? I mean, just to make the point, so you really understand Understand the point. When the people go out the next day because, you know, God's going to provide and Moses tell them, tells them God, God's going to provide and they go out and they look and they see what's going on around them and what's on the ground, what do they say? Manna. Moses says manna. But do you know what the word manna means, right? Everyone know? It means what is it? That's pretty complicated. God's provided for you. What's he provided? What is it? There you go. I think that's a great reminder that when God provides for us and He provides abundantly, when we're looking for what we want in the way we want, we miss it. We not only don't see His abundance, we don't see His provision. It doesn't mean that we always understand His provision. It doesn't mean that His provision comes in a way that we're used to or we're comfortable with. But God's provision will always satisfy when we understand who and what He is about for us. I love the fact that it's called manna. What is it? I love that. What I also find interesting is when you think back, when you remember what God's done in the past, what do you remember? You know, it's really, really interesting that over and over again, what God was trying to show the Israelites is this is not just about material possession and things. This is about me. This is about trusting me. This is about walking with me. It's about doing my will. That's what this is about. And when the Israelites in John 6 think back on the provision that God gave, they say, well, Moses provided. No, wrong. God provided. That's what Jesus points to. It's not Moses. It's God. And that's what God is always about. He's always trying to get us to focus on Him and His provision. His bread, which is for eternal life, which is what Jesus says. Eternal life that begins now and continues on into eternity. That's God's provision. He wants you with Him eternally. He wants you to understand His love for now, for the future, forever. And he wants you to share that with other people because there's enough to go around. If you really understand what God is about in the Old Testament, what Jesus is about, 
You know, we, we use these trite sayings sometimes just to remember the past. You know, these trite sayings like, Jesus is the answer. Well, what's the question? Do you think people out there are asking the question? Do you think they know the question to ask? And is Jesus the answer when you want what you want when you want it? Is he sufficient? Is he enough for you? Because, in fact, Jesus is the answer. But we throw that out because it's something, you know, we remember from the past. Or Jesus was the answer when we were looking for salvation. What about Jesus saves? Jesus saves. You know, it's another one of those things we love to say, we love to think about. But saves us from what or saves us for what? Does he save us from sin? Because that's why he came. Not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. He saves us for what? For himself, to be his church, to be connected, to grow, to reach out to other people. Jesus saves, yes. But what's the question? Saves for what? See, it's not just about remembering these trite sayings in the past or that Jesus at one time visited us and we understood salvation. It's about an ongoing walk. It's about following his call. It's about trusting him and growing in love with him. That's what Jesus is about. That's what God's about. It's about himself, his word, salvation, eternal life. That's what he's about. That we live into that. You know, many of the desires and needs that we have physically, emotionally, spiritually, he's planted in us. He has planted in us. We need to be hungry because that's one of the ways that we stay healthy and fit. So he planted that desire in us. He planted sexual desire in us so that we would fall in love and be married and have families and grow and bring our children up in the faith. He planted that desire in us. We always corrupt it when we take it on ourselves, don't we? When sin creeps in, we corrupt it. When our own control sneaks in, we corrupt it. And therefore, we try to seek the answer to the desire or need our way in our time. Maybe even we go back to the past. We want to go back to Egypt. You know, whatever it was back in Egypt when we were in bondage, when we were in sin, and we seek the answer back there. That's not the answer. Or maybe we did come to faith in Christ. Maybe we really did trust Him at one point, but we never grew. And what we always hold on to is, yeah, I gave my life to Christ, but what's happened since? Have you really changed? Have you really grown? Do you really understand that if you are walking with Him by faith, that you become more and more like Him, which means you serve, you love, you sacrifice, if you really understand that your love grows exponentially? Your joy is there. Your peace is something that dominates your life. Even amidst the, the challenges. That you're not just looking to back there when. Because remembering is a good thing. That's why we celebrate communion. But remembering is only to encourage us to continue Keeping on. Continue to grow. Continue to trust. Continue to love the Lord and love each other. That's why we remember. 
Last week, when we talked about Ephesians 4, we talked about children. Children being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And oftentimes it's because we're seeking our needs and desires our way. Instead of God's way. That we're looking for human solutions or our own abilities instead of God's provision, God's abundance, God's way. And so often when we don't get what we want, when we want our way, we complain. And who do we blame? We blame God. We blame his leaders. Instead of taking responsibility ourselves and repent and say, Lord, I need to know. I need to know you. I need to know your provision. I need to know your grace and your love, and I need to trust you. That instead of being a complaining people, we become a praying people. And our hope is not for this world. Our hope is in him for eternal life that begins now and continues in the future. That's the church. That's the church feeding on the bread of life. And that's the bread that we need to feed on and we need to share with other people. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, so often our first response is grumbling. And our next response is to desire to go back to Egypt. To seek our own answers, our own way, and end up in bondage again. Or end up hopeless. When your provision is always gracious and always abundant. And always comes from love. If only we would open our eyes. If only we would receive. If only we would seek to trust you and to love you. Lord God, I pray this day that for those who have never tasted the bread of life, that they might come to you. That they would not see the solution or the end in themselves, but in you. That they would trust you, Lord, because of the depth of your love and the gift of your cross and your sacrifice for eternal life. And for those of us that have been in the church for years and years, who haven't really grown, who have relied on our own strength, who complain when it doesn't go our way, Lord, help us to see your grace and provision. And help us to grow in your love. And then, Lord, make us a people that truly follows you. Because we want to know you. And offers the bread of life to those in a desperate, hungry, and dying world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.